I'm grateful to be here at the start of this new year. You're going to want to open up to uh, Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9, you can find it on page 1000 in your pew Bible there in front of you. I've been a pastor for over 15 years, and uh, some would say, some would suggest or think that I've done a great deal of teaching, and uh, I would argue that really what I've done is a great deal of reminding reminding people. And that's certainly the case this morning. I'm just going to be reminding you of things that you probably already know, but you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded because we are a forgetful people. Uh, That's kind of maybe stating the obvious, but for me, I know, even my wife and uh, my friends, people who know me well say, Troy, you know so many names and you remember so many details. But even I myself, I know I look in the mirror and I say, Troy, how could you forget? How could you forget that? That truth, that warning, that promise, how could you forget? It's like, a, it's like a spiritual amnesia that I forget. And so we need to be reminded this morning, and at the start of this new year, we need to be reminded that we have a God that we can trust. And He's invited us to trust Him by faith. Why? Because the righteous shall live by faith. Because we walk not by sight, but by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, we are a people who are called to walk and live and serve by faith, like it or not. That's the invitation. What do you know about this new year? Well, we kind of hit the reset button this week, didn't we? I don't know about you. What do we know that this year holds? Looks like some more shoveling, snow. (laughs) Uh, That's the winter, probably. In the spring, I would guess that we, many of us, will be paying taxes. I know for me, if I make it all the way to the summer, I'm going to be the father of a teenager. That is, uh, that is crazy. Yikes. I, saw a bu- I love you, teenagers. I saw a bumper sticker this week that speaks to you and your expertise. It said, hire a teenager while they still know everything. <laughs> and, but what do you know? What do, what, do, what do you know? What do, what do any of us know, especially when it pertains to what's on the horizon for this year? What do you know about your health? What do you know about your job, your family? What do you know about your finances for this year ahead? Well, I know you're not in control. Even if we did know all the details, and we don't, but even if we did, it wouldn't mean that we were in control. We're called. We have an invitation to live by faith. And how do we have that? By the way, faith is not just the starting point of this journey that we call as disciples, as followers of Christ. It's not just by faith that we enter. It's by faith that we continue. It's a pathway that we walk and we, we, we continue on by faith. And Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we're going to read God's word right now. And we're going to pray that God would give us faith. You may or may not be familiar with this story. This is where Jesus kind of comes down off of the ultimate mountaintop experience and he finds himself in the valley. Chaos all around. He's up on the mountain of transfigurations, of transfiguration at the beginning of this chapter with Peter, James, and John. Part of his glory is unveiled. It's a marvelous sight. It's a sweet moment. They want to remain up there and Jesus says no. And then the second half of this book is pretty much the last week of Jesus' life and suffering. And it gets marked at the beginning here with this trial and with this encounter with chaos. So hear this. This is the Word of God, Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. 
And when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I I brought my son to you who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down to the ground. He foams the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, they brought him, and when they saw Jesus, when the spirit, that is, the demon, saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy, how long has he had the father's boy, the, the boy's father, how long has he been like this from childhood, he answered. Verse 22, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, have pity Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Verse 26, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and he came down. The boy looked as so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up to his feet, and he stood up. And Jesus had gone indoors. His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is God's word. Let me pray right now. We ask that you would help us, God. We need, even as we just sang earlier, speak and may your truth dispel and tear away unbelief. Would you be in my speaking and would you be in our hearing even now by faith? For we ask in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. A couple of years ago, I read this story. It was a new story about a guy named Hosea Vaughn. He had left on his 20-something foot sailboat out to sea to, uh, to sail from Mexico down to El Salvador. He ended up being at sea for a whole 16 months he was lost. He was adrift. They, they finally found him. He, he came ashore. And of course, they, they joked that he looked like Tom Hanks from Castaway. And uh, he gets there to shore. And it's just a marvel. You know, it's just a wonder that he is still alive. How on earth did he survive mentally? How did he survive? How did he survive even physically at sea, 16 months lost? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the, the rest of the story if you're curious later. I'm, I'm one of these people that loves a good, you know, Robinson Crusoe, uh, you know, adventure survival story, right? We love survival stories. Why? Well, for any number of reasons. I think it's because we all tend to face different struggles. We all find ourselves at different points asking ourselves, how am I going to survive? How am I going to survive blank? Fill in the blank. Any number of books, if you were just to go on Amazon, there's dozens and dozens. How do I survive this? How do I survive? How do I survive? I'll name just a few. Maybe some of these aren't quite so perilous and life-threatening as being lost at sea. But how do I survive a breakup? How do I survive the first year of college? How do I survive grief or divorce or unemployment? How do I survive a zombie apocalypse? 
Now you laugh, but that got four and a half stars on Amazon and over a thousand reviews. How do I survive parenthood? How do I survive my parents? How do I survive middle school? How do I survive retirement? How do I survive? Some of these may not be as relevant to you. Maybe not for now, yet. Why do I highlight this? Well, you never ask the question of survival when you're on the mountaintop. You ask that question when you are in the valley, whether it's heartache or headache or suffering or trials or quite simply just the unknown darkness that we can't control on the horizon. And by the way, any good survival manual will always recognize the depth of the struggle and the problem. It will talk about ways to address it. It will also talk, if it's a good survival manual, about ways not to address the problem and survive it. Does that make sense? So in other words, even things that might be intuitive, they might come naturally to us on how we would survive a particular situation. It's saying, make sure not to do this. You know this if you're driving down the road, right? And you you find yourself going into a spin. What do you do? You turn into the spin, right? You don't try to correct it the other way. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive, but you turn into the spin. There are any number of examples of where that's the case. Now, the crisis point. By the way, that will give us wisdom and skill, but there's still something yet more. And right here, we find in the story of survival, there's this father. It's a crisis in his life. This son has got some type of epileptic condition that's brought on by evil demonic spirits. But unlike other points, by the way, in Jesus' ministry where he performs great miracles like this one, unlike other places in the gospel, the point is actually not the miracle or what it's trying to uh, illustrate or point to. In fact, the main driving thrust of this passage, I would suggest, is the necessity of faith. We see that on a few different fronts. I'll explain more. Now, if you're taking notes or if you just want to follow along even mentally, where are we going with this? There are three questions that I think uh, would be wise of us to ask. What does Jesus find? What does the Father ask? And then third, what do the disciples lack? And I think we even find some of these as just questions right there in the text. And the first one is, what does Jesus find? Verse 16 What does he say there? There's a great commotion going on. They say, what are you arguing about? It's the experts in the law, the scribes who were there as well. And uh, they tried to make a case time and again that uh, Jesus is a false, uh, that he is a blasphemer, that he is a false prophet. And and, and their case is kind of being made because the disciples here, the remaining nine uh, who weren't with Jesus, uh, they tried to cast out this demon. And they were unable to do so even in Jesus' name. Now, what does Jesus find, though? I mean, in, in the midst of this, this argument with the scribes and others who are onlookers, Jesus just finds life in the fallen world. There's people there who are worried. There's people there that are confused. There is, there's anxiety. There's a sick child. This is part of life in the fallen world. He finds chaos in the valley. He also finds things that go beyond the material world, right? Because there are demon spirits at work here. Same is true even today. By the way, this is just a, a brief window, just, just as a side note. What happens here with the boy and what has happened for, for many, many years is just an illustration of what sin and evil does. 
Even if we think it's, it's, it's rather contained and small and insignificant, it has a trajectory, by the way. There is, a, there is an end game, and it's not life. It's, it's, it's destruction. It's, it's actually death. That's what's happened with the boy in such vivid terms. What else does Jesus find? He finds the evil of, of unbelief on multiple fronts. And that's why he says, look at the text again, verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. He's, con- he's, he's confounded. He's confused. He's, he's, he's dismayed. What are you doing after all that I have? How long am I to stay here? After all that you have seen and witnessed, all that you, you know has been fulfilled, what is this unbelief? But even at that point, by the way, this is... This is I know it sounds as though a moment of of exasperation. Certainly Jesus is indeed frustrated, but there's grace. There's grace even here at the end of verse 19. What does he say? Bring him. Bring him to me. And he, even when he goes to the Father, he speaks there. He shows mercy. He speaks tenderly with compassion and patience with the Father of this boy. That's what Jesus finds, but even now with the Father, what's our next question? What's, what does the Father ask? The Father has been desperate, even despondent, desperately trying to find answers and help for years and years with his boy. It looks like this will be his last option. He's come to the disciples. They can't do it. They failed to deliver uh, the boy. And now the Father has one last look at Jesus, although he's, he's there like on his, his face What does verse 22 say? But if you can do anything, have pity. Now, I'm not a, uh, I'm not really good at grammar. My kids are, my, my, you know, my my teenagers are actually better at grammar than I am. And uh, I I know that one rule of grammar is you don't have any point where there's a double punctuation. But if there was ever a case to be made for a place where you should see a double punctuation mark, it would be right here. Here, in Jesus' reply, what does he say? Verse 23, if you can, what would be the double punctuation? (laughs) Question mark, explanation, question mark. If you can, if you can, of course I can. By the way, the question that the father asks is not one of, of willingness, right? There's other places that we read in the gospel accounts where, for instance, the leper comes to Jesus at one point and says, if you will, if it is your, if it's your will, if you intend it. This is not a question of willingness. It's a question of ability. Jesus says, if you can, yes, I can. Jesus knows that the Father's faith here is shaky. It's, it's weak. It's, it's marked with with doubts. But he's crying. He's crying out for mercy. Have you been there? Let me, let's, let's just take a pause here. You know, we're kind of in their world. Let's come into our world. Have you been there? Have you cried out for mercy? Maybe, maybe it's not a, a medically dire circumstance or condition. Perhaps it's not even a crisis of any particular form, although... We'd have to admit that God chooses, indeed, ordains to use crisis at different points in our life to bring us closer to Him by faith. 
But maybe, maybe it's just something else right now. You're at a crossroads. You feel like you're backed into a corner. You're confused. You're exhausted. You're, you're hurt. And, and, and all the efforts that you have tried have been marked with frustration. And, and you're, you're willing right now, you're maybe at a, at a point where you're saying, okay, yes, I'm ready to confess that I am inadequate. I, I can't deal with this. I, I'm not prepared. I don't have the resources. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready, yes. Are you at that point? Have you been at that point? You should be. What does Jesus do here in response? In, in the text, well, both the boy, verse 26, he just gets thrown down. It looks like, it looks like he's dead. Thanks, God. We trusted you. Yeah, well, thanks for making things actually worse. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is not how we intended for you to answer this prayer. What would it have been like for the Father? What's it like for us? Even in those cries of mercy, by faith, that we should wait, that we have to wait. Even the invitation to trust is an invitation to also wait, isn't it? Now let's look at this last question. What do the disciples lack? The third question, it's right there. I actually think, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of the center of gravity for what Mark records for us. It's not the boy in the miracle so much as it is right here in the private moments, verse 28. What does it say? Let's read it together here. And Jesus had gone indoors. His disciples asked him privately, why? Why couldn't we drive it out? How come? Jesus, why not? You know, other places, one instance is in Mark 6. Jesus actually tells them, he commissions them to go and do this very thing in his name. So it's not like Jesus would have said, well, of course you can't because you're not me. No, he says, I've told you to do this before. You know, you've been given the authority even to do these things. But suffice to say, they're not trusting in the power of Christ at this particular junk. There's some type of presumption on their part. They're, they're trusting, the problem is, they're trusting in themselves. We've done this before. We know the routine. We have performed these type of miracles. In Jesus. We can do this. But the disciples lack faith. Like the Father here in the story too. But they should have known better. They should have known of the, the great power of Christ. They have seen him. And by the way, Jesus there in verse 29, as we read it, he completely pegs them. What does he say? What does he say? Why could we cast it out, Jesus? Jesus said, boys, guys, did you pray? Did did you pray? Have you ever been on hold with tech support for like 45 minutes? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? You've been on text, you've been waiting. Finally, someone comes on the phone, they try to troubleshoot your problem with your gadget or your computer or device or whatever, and then they say this. Did you plug it in? Did you hit the reset? Did you reboot it? Did you click on? Yes, for the love. Don't insult me, yes. But the disciples couldn't say yes. Did you pray? 
No, we didn't. We, we did not. We didn't. You know, back to the survival stories thing. This is one of those moments where the counterintuitive, you know, it's like, okay, let's just imagine you, you are shipwrecked for one reason or another, and you're lost at sea, and over time, you become thirsty. Well, naturally, that shouldn't be a problem because there's tons of water all around you. But any survival manual will tell you if you are shipwrecked, the last thing you should do if you are thirsty is what? Drink that seawater. I mean, unless you're on, you know, Lake Michigan or something, but Lake Erie. But if you're lost at sea, you do not drink the salt water because it will actually further dehydrate you. You will go mad. It will not be a means of survival. Friends, what am I saying this morning? Do not trust in yourself. It may seem like it's the right thing. It may seem so intuitive and natural But don't trust in your abilities, your insights, your resources, your methodologies, your past experiences or abilities, quite frankly. That's what the disciples did here. No, trust trust and rest in God. He is our maker and our redeemer alone. He loves you. Trust him by faith. It might be a weak faith. It might be a small and shaky faith. But the invitation remains. Trust Him with your trials, your temptations, with your heartache, with your big decisions, with your your small, seemingly minute decisions. Trust Him by faith. You can't see the details. There's something confusing on the horizon. Trust Him by faith. And faith doesn't look inward on self. It looks outward. It looks and focuses on God. It connects us. Faith is what connects us with God. In fact, it's the only thing that would connect us in our inability to the great might and mercy of God, His power. Faith is the only thing that would bridge that, truthfully. We were driving to church, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago, and the kids said, we really, really, really want to go ice skating. And uh, I said, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think it's ready. You know, I, I don't know. Some kids from church invited them over. Uh, they, they actually ended up going ice skating that afternoon. And I went to pick them up, and uh, I saw them out there on the water. And I, it was, there was no snow on there. I, I was surprised that the, the pond that they were on was, uh, was able to hold them. They're out there just skating around. Now, let me ask you a question. And now, when I got to the edge of the pond, even as I saw them out there skating around playing hockey, um, I... I, I was a bit, you know, I was a bit nervous, and uh, I wasn't ready. To, I mean, I do weigh 100 pounds more than any of them, even the teenager, but I, you know, I, I wasn't ready to step out on there. Of course, that's not a problem today. <laughs> There's no doubt in your mind. If you were to walk out on any form of water, it's going to be icy today. It's going to hold you up, no doubt. But let me ask you a question. This is not an analogy. This isn't an illustration that's original to me at all. I've used it before. For the person who gets to the edge of any body of water that's got ice on it, regardless of of whether they tippy-toe out there or have to put a stick or throw a rock out to see if it blasts through the ice to see how thick it is, regardless of whether someone tippy-toes, 
carefully out on the ice or they run out there and skate with joy and excitement, which one of those people is more likely to fall through the ice? Neither of them. It's not about them. It's what's underneath them. Four, six, eight inches of ice is what holds them up. That's just it, friends. It doesn't matter how weak and and shaky you feel like your faith is. It is not your faith. It is the object of your faith. Trust Him. Trust Him. In a parallel passage to this text, Matthew records in Matthew 17 that it was their little faith. The disciples, you have a little faith. And the, and the response that Jesus, the, the remedy that Jesus gives them there was that all you need is little faith, as small as a mustard seed. Let me just close with a few words of application. Friends, we, we need to take God's word um, and we need to memorize it. And if you wanted to memorize something, a a portion of God's word that you indeed know will be of benefit to you, certainly it would be a verse like this, as the Father cries out, I do believe, help me, verse 24, overcome my unbelief. I guarantee you'll use it this week. Or maybe, maybe it's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one. Jesus knows. Jesus Jesus died for our unbelief and he lives now that we would rely and trust upon him by faith. So here's my application. In addition to maybe taking just one portion of God's word, some small portion to memorize and take up this week, this year ahead, is to pray and then to continue in prayer. By the way, pray for your pastor. People come to me and they say, Pastor, how can we pray for you? Would you pray that I would pray? I know that pull in my own sin and unbelief and pride to not live by faith. You know, because, look, unbelief shows up in so many different ways. And that's true, by the way, of faith. Faith shows up in a whole myriad of ways. But one way that it always, always shows up is in prayer. To be a person who lives by faith is to pray. It might be fumbling, it might be incoherent, it might be inconsistent, but to pray. The Heavenly Father loves to hear us. The Heavenly Father, my friends, today is not like your earthly parents, even the best of your earthly parents. I'm glad the Heavenly Father's not like me. I mean, my, my, I might be laying in bed at night and my kids, they come to me, you know, my, my, my youngest kindergarten, he might come and, and wake me up. He just... I'm, I'm so tired, I'm like half asleep, more than half asleep, I'm like dead in sleep, practically. And I'm, what do you want? Practically scared me. What do you want? What is it? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I can't sleep. Well, now I can't either. I can't sleep, Daddy. I can't sleep. I had a bad dream, and and I think there's some water in my bed. That's not water. I'm not going to sleep anytime soon. 
Why do your kids come to you? Little people, why do you go to your parents? Young people, why do you go? Why do you go to your parents? Because you know that you have a problem that you cannot remedy or solve by yourself. This is, this is I, please bear with me, I know this is so simple. Children go to their parents and ask for things because they know they can't get it themselves. Secondly, they go to their parents because they believe that they are able to address that problem and need. And then lastly, they go to their parents because they're hopeful that their parents are willing also to help. So, how much more the Heavenly Father would love to hear from us? Admit your inadequate belief he is able, try it. Doesn't have to be a long prayer. Doesn't have to be a long piece of... I mean, just take a... For me, I, I have a hard time concentrating in prayer. Sometimes I'll take up a piece of paper and I will literally write out a prayer. It will not be grammatically correct. It's not part of some memoir and journal. I just throw it away. But I've been able to concentrate and focus by faith in prayer. So in this new year, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're overwhelmed. It doesn't matter whether you are overwhelmed with spiritual amnesia. Go to him in prayer. Believe him. All of his mercy, his power, his knowledge. He is in control. I'm not in control. Maybe I need to trust him. Even in that trial or crisis, we have honest conversation when we pray. It's not just a theological recitation where we, we say something out of road or we, we string together all the right sophisticated words. It, it's just it's crying out to him, acknowledging, thanking, confessing, calling I believe. I, I believe you love me. Help my unbelief. Lord, I, I, I believe that you were wise, but I didn't see that storm coming. How am I going to survive? This, this trial, this, this bitter struggle, these difficult people, this temptation. Well, my friends, I'm telling you today, do not drink the seawater of unbelief, of self-reliance. Do not Do not drink the seawater of self-reliance. Are you curious how Jose Yvonne survived on that ship for 16 months? If you are, I'll tell you how he survived. He caught turtles and fish. And then for water, he somehow was able to catch rainwater. And so what I'm saying, and that's that's how he survived and hydrated. And I'm, I'm telling you today, Just hold out a cup and pray for rain and wait on the Lord. Please, Lord, have mercy. Help my unbelief. I'm waiting. I believe, but help my unbelief. Let me close just this passage. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 says this. Even in his trials, even in his affliction, he says this. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, he says, but on God, who raises the dead, the power of the resurrection. Let's trust him even now by faith as we pray. Father, we ask that even now that you would cause Jesus to shine brighter and stronger than our circumstances.
that he would shine brighter than our, our problems. And we pray that you would have mercy on us and forgive us for our prayerlessness and our unbelief. Would you expose our self-reliance? Would you expose our complete inadequacy that we might run to you and have fellowship with you? Pray that you would work in these people, these brothers and sisters, friends of mine, work in me, that you would cause us to see and cherish the things that are not visible, but everlasting and substantial and real and reflect your love. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray and ask your blessing. Amen.